0: Welcome to Trending in Education, Mike Palmer here, very pleased to be joined by a fellow podcaster, a fellow educational podcaster, and uh, someone who's got his finger on the pulse of higher education technology, and a lot of interesting stuff that we're going to talk about in a bit. Dustin Ramsdell is my guest today. He's the host of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast. Uh, Dustin, welcome to Trending in Education.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So you've been doing this podcast.
1: Yes. I've been podcasting generally for over six years. And this current show, The Hired Geek Podcast, since November of 2017, but okay. I have been running shows since
0: March of 2014. It's really interesting perspective that you're bringing. We like to to begin by understanding where our guests come from and what your origin story is. Tell your hero's tale as someone who got to this point as a learning professional. Can you share that with us? Yeah, The
1: origin story begins at the University of Delaware campus, where I uh, studied uh, for undergrad. I was a history major and leadership minor. Blue hens? The blue hens, that's okay, right. Good. The fighting blue hens. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I had an amazing experience there. Uh, I was an RA for two years, and I originally thought I was going to be a high school history teacher, but once I became an RA and really found myself in terms of my leadership style and my role on a team, it just... Really inspired me to move forward to pursue a career in higher education, go to graduate school, study this, and move forward from there. Went to Rutgers University for grad school, was a graduate hall director there for the two years uh, while I studied. Scarlet Knights. That's right. Yes. And it's also a special place for me. It's where I met my future wife. Yeah. I love Rutgers, love uh, UD. New Brunswick. Uh, that's right. Yeah, the flagship campus uh, yeah. there in New Brunswick. Yeah. It's a great, great place. Go check it out. But yeah, spent two years there after I graduated. Got a full time campus based role as a resident director at a school up in Maine while my uh, wife was going to grad school. Which I guess since we're naming universities, if anyone's familiar with Husson University, it's a very small Ooh. private university up there. How do you spell uh, that? H U S O N Husson mm. University. Mm. Very grateful for that as a landing pad right after getting out of grad school and it served as that initial starting point for my career, but really made me uh, solidify my desires to work just in a different environment. I didn't even know what that necessarily meant, but I felt like I wanted to make greater change, have greater influence in during that time was when I was running that first podcast. So I felt like I was getting a a glimpse into the broader higher ed landscape and was tantalized by that, I guess, of just uh, aspirations of uh, working in a different environment and working at maybe a broader, you know, kind of broader scale. Mm -hmm. Um, So after that, I was able to get a job and kind of transfer into education technology, working at 2U. And Mm -hmm. I've been in that space since uh, May of 2016. I really enjoy working in digital education, but Mm -hmm. um, also really having the opportunity to talk with people like you and continue to create content under now the Hired Geek Podcast banner yeah. and trying to get out to conferences and uh, do yeah. all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. so I blog for a variety of different ed tech Presence is one of them. Like I've been a writer for them, contributing just like a post a month for years. Yeah. Uh, some other random places, but it's just, I'm always thinking and geeking out about this stuff and just yeah. trying to keep an eye on what's happening. What are people talking about mm-hmm. um, and how are they talking about it? And I feel like it helps me to become a better professional. And I try to just give back and synthesize things and connect dots as much as I can through my writing and through my podcast. But Yeah, it's been a fun ride so far and just very grateful for the place I've been able to to get to now.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And for a lot of folks, they don't realize that there is a broader industry outside of academia proper and that there are a bunch of educational roles that people can fill. I was doing this for 20 years in many different capacities at Kaplan. And it's just really interesting perspective, I think, for folks who may think of career paths in education as either I'm going to teach high school or teach K-12, I'm going to become a professor or that's about it. If you have the most narrow perspective, but then if you start looking at the educational technology, also known as ed tech, like that's a macro trend in the last, say 10 to 20 years that has been enormous. And then it's also a trend that ran smack into the pandemic or or vice versa. So this industry was already large. Some of us were more aware of it than others perhaps, but, but then 2020 happened and I think more folks are thinking about online learning so yeah the higher ed geek podcast is uh is right in the middle of all that and uh, what's it been like maybe what was it like prior to the pandemic and everything getting crazy this year and then what's it been like since so i'd love to get some perspective on what your conversations have been like what your perspective is and how it may have transformed i know mine has certainly throughout the year so i'd love to get some of your perspective
1: yeah prior to this my podcast, I felt like had a very broad focus and and that was intentional. I was just like talking to people about their hired experience and what they're geeking out about. And some people who worked in higher ed and some who didn't. And I felt like that was relevant and interesting because certainly we interact with so many students and they're on campus for for four years and move on kind of thing. Like they're getting their degree and they go on to do amazing things. It was that lens of just higher ed and how it touches people's lives. Yeah. Because I I, had previous podcast I did was just super all to student affairs professionals all day, yeah. every day, posting every week for so over very, two and a half years. Went
0: from narrow to much broader. Yep. Yes. I needed kind of that,
1: that <laughs> like break. With 2020 coming on, I was already leaning towards the direction. I feel working in ed tech, so many people reach out to me of like, how did you get in and what kind of roles are there? Or, what kind of organization should I be looking at? So let me try to reach out to more of those people. And I was also, because these are related, I'll just mention in passing, I was pleased to be uh, presenting at South by Southwest EDU in Austin in March, oh. uh, one of the first major casualties of yeah, uh, me, the pandemic.
0: Uh, me too. Uh, we, we would have uh, crossed paths down there. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I was pretty bummed about that. But- That I think got me into some listservs or something of so many people who were doing great work that they really wanted to boost up. And so I had a lot more people reaching out and a lot of the focus was thankfully able to easily really focus on education technology, Mm -hmm. uh, digital engagement for students across the entire life cycle and the work that people are doing for students to still support them and be inclusive and Mm -hmm. provide greater access. I still hit on a really broad range of topics, but it was really still just laser focused into higher education, digital engagement, and online learning and those Mm -hmm. sort of things. And I I hope to continue that focus. I am very excited
0: and hopeful to lean a little bit more on the higher ed side of a higher ed geek. I'm really interested in your focus on, on ed tech and as someone who's been in the space for good chunk of your professional career and for a nice hunk of time now do you have any broader trends that that you've been noticing around educational technology even independent of the pandemic and then i frequently like to understand did this crazy year accelerate trends did it slow them down did it send things in a different direction but but just from your experience doing podcasts about education over the last say six or seven years and being in the field playing with your head up for say the last 10 plus years, any macro trends to begin with? Yeah, I think what we're seeing is definitely
1: all the things I'll mention are being accelerated. I think that's the verb of 2020 for ed tech and higher ed is acceleration. Maybe second to that, like disruption, but Mm -hmm. the things that were already moving are moving quicker. And those things that I have noticed are consolidation at EdTech, which kind mm-hmm. of mirrors what's happening. A lot of institutions, brick and mortar colleges and universities are merging with each other yep. to just stay afloat. So we're seeing that in EdTech a lot. Just the basic economic principle, I'm sure a lot of folks are familiar with, of just the economies of scale and all that. Mm-hmm. We need to be conscious of cost. We need to be able to provide a high level of service at the lowest price possible, more often yep. than not. So, you know, that cons- consolidation is happening. I'm seeing... Uh, and I can give some examples of that and talk more about it more, but I'll, I'll give the three buckets of uh, uh, what I'm seeing. So, consolidation, boot camps that are partnering with institutions for degree pathways. And I think this is noteworthy because these are often just digital education organizations that are disassociated entirely from credentialing institutions of higher learning. Like, you just go to the boot camp for however long. And they're trying to market themselves as like a direct pipeline into gainful employment and, yep. you know, the broader tech industry. But the mm-hmm. fact that they're saying, okay, because there's a lot of like kind of presumptions that are embedded in this, but if you go to our boot camp, you have a direct pathway to move just quicker, at, you know, yeah. you know, accelerated yeah. rate towards degree and institution. And I think that's really powerful that it also makes it clear that these institutions matter. Their credentials are very transferable and very clearly understood by employers and just like a kind of broader market.
0: Yeah, that one is an interesting one. And I, I'm, I'm excited to get back into yes, that one with yes. you. Yes. Um, and then lastly, eSports personally just
1: super yeah. you know jazzed about this, like we're seeing the kind of maturation of the collegiate eSports space. So mm-hmm. there's a lot to a lot of opportunity there and a lot of excitement and growth there. So um, yeah, it yeah.
0: couldn't be the, the higher ed geek podcast without talking about eSports <laughs> in 2020. Right. That's pretty spot on. That's yeah. also an interesting one to to start getting out ahead on. And that's another one that I'd love to have you back to go deeper on esports in particular, because I think that's a space that frequently can maybe be ahead of the experience of a learning platform. But if you can start to borrow from media and entertainment formats when you're thinking about designing learning media, that's mm-hmm. something I've been very passionate about really throughout my career is that if you're always looking outside for what's emerging, and esports is a place where it's growing. There's a lot of investment in the technology and even the the folks who are engaged in it, both the playing of it and the watching of it are of a digital profile that's very different from the way we historically have thought about higher education. So I'm wanna I'm gonna wanna dive in a little more on, on <laughs> yeah, that we'll, we'll put our VR helmets on for, for that part right, of the it's, conversation. It's like a whole
1: a whole episode in yeah. and it's of itself. It yeah, so, yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. So yeah, so those are some interesting interesting areas to dig into. Where do you want to start?
1: I think the consolidation is an interesting one. So a couple of noteworthy things that I caught my eye. So one of which and I don't know if you have any insight. I feel like I keep bringing it up to people and nobody really knows what to make of it, but it, it yeah. just isn't, at least on its face, clear about just the need of like economies of scale and just trying to navigate this very competitive space in ed tech is that Campus Labs, iModules, and Campus Management all merged together to create Anthology, which is a company that is positing itself as being able to support student experience through the entire life cycle. But are three just disparate companies that kind of were collected together as little pieces through yeah. these private equity firms and things. But that's just clear that that is certainly appealing. And it makes it a very large organization in the edtech space that can just go to a campus and say, we can work with you on recruiting students, supporting students, engaging alumni, and all these different aspects. So like, yeah. That's pretty big because we're seeing people like the OPMs of the world also trying to be like, we can give you the entire life cycle of support all just baked into this one partnership versus yeah, and just, being kind just of Just for like, folks you
0: know, who may not one, understand yeah. the acronyms, uh, can you just describe what an OPM is?
1: Online program manager. So typically companies that are supporting digital education efforts at any institution. So, yep.
0: so, um, so like to you for example, is, right. is probably the, the one that folks hear the most about and you have experience- with what they got going on. And yeah, and it's those types of programs that are providing a collection of services, which are digital first typically, are likely to be a place where uh, higher education is also gonna look for guidance and leadership through a pandemic year where suddenly everything had to move online. And it is interesting to understand how those ecosystems are integrated into a user experience that is actually coherent and friendly to not just students, but also uh, educators and staff and, and even parents now, I, I, just because it is a different year where I think it's like the, the whole context in which people are understanding their higher ed experience is becoming much more digitally centered the other thing that I was thinking of when you were talking about the consolidation is uh, this is very newsy, like when we're recording this, it's within days of Salesforce's acquisition of Slack being announced, which to me is almost a level parallel to what I think you're describing in EdTech, which is just these larger technology firms who have some kind of platform advantage and some capital behind them are creating these integrated ecosystems in a way that the smaller startup components can't. It's becoming this collecting and aggregating of technologies. Do you have any perspective on who's doing that? What kind of problems uh, happen when folks don't do it?
1: I think the premises with this anthology are like Salesforce and all that. Higher institutions use Salesforce and like yeah. a lot use Slack and all that. And I think Right. They would want to continue that momentum if you're buying into this suite where you're getting everything you need. And, you know, OPMs uh, market themselves as well that way. But what increasingly is also interesting is we're seeing fee for service models proliferating quite a bit is that tuition rep shares lost this luster and like being able to pick and choose. Where where, okay, you have the whole suite, but actually we just want these three things. Mm-hmm. So I think, and to be clear, I work now at Noodle, which is a competitor to 2U, yeah. still in the OPM space, but we sure. were some of the drivers of that fee for service. Is I think that. It's like the idea that you're positioned to be able to do anything, but you then partner with just doing some things yeah. with an institution, because certainly again, like with it, it declines in international enrollment and just all of these kind of headwinds that institutions are facing, they need to be really mindful of their budgets versus just, okay, we're paying for all this stuff that we don't even need or right. just that greater flexibility. I think a lot of these OPMs and different companies, I think are doing a good job with that, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really valuable to... To everyone, that they, they're figuring out a model that's sustainable for them and uh, sustainable for institutions and more, right. more conducive to their needs. Yeah. So, just general tip of the hat to those folks. But, and I think, too, it, it, another one that's noteworthy headline in the consolidation is uh, K 12 made a few acquisitions in like boot camps and certificate programs. They're calling themselves Stride Education, but they're again positing themselves as like, we support lifelong learning. We have yep. all these little pieces again, and they can just give that broad spectrum of support. And again, as a value for an organization, I think that's really powerful. But right. um, again, perhaps an institution works with them and it's like, yes, everything, but it might be that like, we have a partnership with this place for this thing and this other institution for this other piece and all yeah. that. So they can at least have not all their eggs in one basket of, again, a 2U that made some acquisitions years ago, but like now has like short courses and boot camps and all that. It's not just tuition revenue shares on graduate degree programs. Like right, right. they can diversify a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. The the thing I hear uh, folks talk about is lifetime value and ways to create value from your alumni and for your alumni across their, their life cycle, rather than treat that as uh, really just when you want to do your fundraising, you ask everybody for their donations once a year. And if you have a homecoming game, you get everybody to come to the homecoming game. And, and that's the beginning and end of it. I think increasingly, And that's where the platforms and OPMs come into play is if you can build something engaging and sticky enough that you can have your alumni and your faculty engaging with your students in a a sort of natural, supportive way. And if that's then in service of career development, job placement, just really finding meaning and mission in your life. Those are a lot of the things that I've been picking up on more this year. In addition to the technology, people are a lot more reflective and people are thinking much more about where they get meaning and how they uh, connect with other humans. Can you talk a bit about that? The fact that Slack could be positioned with the Salesforce thing more prominently, I think, is a good
1: thing because I'm even seeing in conversations I'm having in various circles, institutions want and many already have Slack instances for their whole yep. institution or for particular programs and all that. So, and there's a lot of great tools like some that I've featured on uh, my podcast and talked with the folks from them, like that just make it more dynamic and native. There's just these opportunities for digital engagement just consistently. And it's yeah. Between faculty and students with each other and staff and everybody like, because I think that is so valuable. And I think it makes, especially just digital learning feel more human. And I think that idea of being thoughtful about, okay, great. We built this amazing online degree program or any of these things in digital education. Does it feel personal? Does it feel like it's more intimate? Like some of those words that just feel like warm and Mm -hmm. welcoming and because it's even just, just the design of, is it easy to navigate so yeah. like you're not getting frustrated and confused, but also just like there's are just simple pivots there and tools and platforms that you can use to really uh, help with that. And I, I'm definitely reassured that, that trend seems to be uh, moving forward in that way where people are thoughtful about the way.
0: Yeah, in many ways, unless you're geeking out on technology and platforms, a lot of the platforms and technology are invisible to the learner or the student or the consumer. And in many ways, that's the goal of the technology is to become like the the air we breathe. It's just there and it works. And that's why I think Zoom has had a bit of a moment this year in in educational technology. And that's a trend. I do want to move on to your other points because I think they're both interesting. But that that brings me back to the Salesforce idea too, where as you're talking about these consolidations, there's a, a contrast between technology platforms that are built specifically for education and then these other technology platforms that are leveraged in service of education. And do you have any perspective on that? Because that's something I've been thinking more and more about, is it gonna be you know, Zoom and Slack or is it gonna be Anthology or some sort of e-learning focused platform that ultimately Wins the day. It's interesting because I think things that are education
1: first, they sometimes just get beaten down by these like big, the stuff that's coming from the private sector and from business. The idea of Salesforce as the system of record to track interactions and stuff, Campus Labs, that was part of this huge merger has its own essentially kind of tracking system that you can use. And like the idea that I feel like they probably maybe lost some market share and that's why it's okay. We can plug these three things together to come create something that's greater than, you know, the sum of its part. Like they create a combo with each other and multiply each other in a way. So I'm inclined to say that, yeah, these things from outside education are going to come in and I think contour themselves and adapt to the needs of the space. but. Yeah, because I think it's interesting, we've been seeing that there's a, a pilot or beta stage thing called class for Zoom or something. I'm not spacing in the exact wording, but like they're saying like Zoom's great, but we should like put these kind of things on top of yes. it. So that's almost, okay, anybody who wanted to be like the education first video conferencing platform, like that's yeah. one more nail in their coffin that like right. somebody's like, no, everybody's just using Zoom, right? So we might mm-hmm. as well just put a plug-in on top of it that makes it a little bit more education focused. Yeah. Like, all right, they're going to probably be the tool to beat. So it's almost like a challenge. And that's just a healthy competition in the space, for better or worse. Yeah, Yeah. I
0: tend to like the idea of having your learning stack in higher ed to be similarly platformed to what your working stack's going to be once you get a job. So if you're interested in landing a 21st century job, a job of 2021, It's likely you're gonna be on Zoom a ton. You're gonna be on uh, Slack most likely if you're in a software development type role. So I do think the universities who are thinking about designing their ecosystem with some preparation in those platforms will give their learners a head start. The flip side is like the LMS data integrations around learning just seems like something that the bigger players in technology just don't want to wrap their heads around. So that's the space that I think the personal learning record, who leads in that space and how is that connected to uh, higher education and boot camps is going to be a really interesting thing to watch in, in the next uh, 10 years. I'd love to get your perspective on that, but I'd also like us to begin to maybe pivot in that direction too. If we are thinking about Getting a job at the end of the the line, that is one thing that the boot camps really build into their operating model is part of why you sign up for a boot camp is that they're going to help you with job placement on the other side. Higher ed doesn't have as good a, a reputation of doing that. Any perspective on any of this?
1: Yeah, I mean definitely to kind of segue because there's definitely a clear connection. I think that idea of building your personal learning network and these things, I think that is definitely a sleeping dragon that has been growing because I think there's a lot of people trying to figure that out. And what I hear sometimes is, okay, sure, maybe you know, they're entertaining the notion, but How do we make sure that these things are translatable to the broader marketplace? They're almost getting ahead of themselves, but everything's going to catch up to them eventually, and they're going to be in a really strong position. Mm -hmm. And right now, at least boot camps are the ones that are addressing where we are literally just teaching you only the skills that you need. It is just a really just a straight line between point A and point B. Mm -hmm. They had, I think a few years ago, a couple of rocky moments because it was these organizations that were just charting open waters on their own, and they struggled. And I think we're seeing just a few that survived that tumultuous time. And so the two ones that are really noteworthy are Thinkful. Thinkful has a partnership now with Southern New Hampshire for a degree pathway. And then Kenzie Academy has a partnership with Western Governors. And I think that's the idea is they're going to be symbiotic. Obviously, the institution is appealing for them for recruitment. These boot camps, it's appealing to them because I think it adds some credibility and it's clear, no, the things that we're teaching are valuable. See, you can complete this boot camp and then be in a, a very strong position to actually get a credential, which like everybody that's validated by the broader marketplace, maybe you complete the bootcamp, you get a great job. If say you wanted to go into management, you could then be like, okay, yeah, I'll go to Southern New Hampshire to get a degree in business administration or something. So that's, I think, an interesting thing that bootcamps, I think, are absolutely here to stay. And the ones that are are the ones that are connected to institutions, anybody who had any illusions of the death of the university because of books and bootcamps and all that, the ones that are sticking around are the ones that are associated with these venerable institutions that are clearly here to stay. And we're now augmenting the work that has been typically happening, brick and mortar and Ivy kind of institutions. So I always joke, it's it's like cyborging. It's not like everything's just going to be robots and automated or whatever. It's no, we're being augmented by technology. So we're still human. We're still us. We're still going to do things the way that we've done them, but just maybe a little bit smarter.
0: Yeah. Um, Uh, The interesting thing I think there as well is the, difference between a certificate and a credential and a degree. And in many ways, it's somewhat reminiscent uh, to me of the, the, the standardized tests that manage admissions to higher ed, is that even if they're, it's flawed, people need a, a way to measure the same set of measurements against something being valid, reliable, creditworthy. That's something that higher ed arguably spends too much time on, but it spends enough time on it that it has a perspective. And then that gravitas of the traditional four year plus degree from these universities, partnering up with boot camps that can move faster and be more responsive to the job marketplace on the emerging new economy skills. That does make a lot of sense to me. I'd love to get some perspective from you on the difference between the certificate and the credential and the degree and how higher ed is navigating that and how some of these new technology platforms are, are trying to help.
1: Yeah, I can even just briefly speak from some personal experience. I'll give a, a shout out to University of California, Irvine. They have a pretty robust kind of division of continuing education, I believe is the uh, their title for it. I would say the anteaters, but I don't know. I know. But yeah, they have a pretty robust library of short courses. And again, just speaking to my uh, love of esports, they have an esports management, which is now a certificate program. Nice. It used to be a specialized studies program. Right. And that's a whole other kind of worms of differentiation there. Now you can get a certificate in so many different things. And it's the idea that it's those certificates more often not are through an School of Arts and Sciences or a School of Education, School of Continuing Learning. So it, it adds that credibility to it. And bootcamps, again, a lot of them are just, they're not accredited institute. Like you're just going to a bootcamp for a period of time, you get skills and they have these partnerships and stuff like that. The idea that I think there's a proliferation of different kinds of credentials is not just associates, bachelors, masters, PhD. It's you could get a certificate in any number of different areas, which for me, I have Bachelor's in history, master's in higher ed, and then getting a uh, certificate in esports allows me to really specialize and focus and say, mm-hmm. yeah, I can weave all that together mm-hmm. and differentiate myself out in the career yeah. marketplace and everything. I think it's, again, the idea that like the classics are going to be here to stay, but that people can, we're just talking about, go to a boot camp, have a degree pathway. And then even then, what we're seeing is like a, what people call it, like the stackable credentials is that yeah. yeah you you take a bunch of short courses and then you just opt in to say yeah I would like to get a certificate and then if I get enough certificates almost it's like that kind of puts you yeah. toward a masters or something you know like depending on the level that you're at so it is really cool just to see because you know what I did initially I was just taking short courses on their own with no real end goal in mind I just was interested yeah but the fact now it's like actually if I take one more I can get an esports management certificate that's the idea of how people I think especially in kind of a lifelong learning context are increasingly going to be navigating what they need to learn about and where they want to learn it. So, really cool to see.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to try to segue here, so bear with me. And that those certificates, those credentials, how you keep track of them is something that, you know, when you think about esports and the way that is gamified, badgeified, the whole competitive dynamics and the the badges and the medals and the awards and the esteem that you get in that space it is interesting to start thinking about that as a parallel ecosystem from which higher ed might be able to borrow some insights, but but we did want to talk a little bit about the emerging eSports trend, and particularly in a year where there are some ways in which you can do eSports that are pretty much uh, COVID-proof, so I think it'd be an interesting thing that was probably accelerated or at least insulated while other things were slowed down more if you compare eSports to face-to-face sports, but uh, any thoughts on eSports? Yeah. A
1: lot of what we have talked about is learning from industry and the outside world as it were. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, eSports is growing as a global industry on its own and It's now partially a talent pipeline that we're seeing even in high school. There's high school programs and now collegiate programs and all that. So as the industry grows and matures, there's need for these esports management short courses for people that want to either break into the industry or formalize their learning. And then there's all these different jobs because really what we're seeing is that esports is modeling its growth after traditional sport. Like they're trying to build their organizations in a way. And a a lot of them are part of the conglomerates of these sporting corporate groups and whatever. But yeah, there's just... So much opportunity there, especially this year, where I think it it probably really dug its roots in pretty deep where it's an amazing digital engagement opportunity for colleges to put their brand out there in a way that's really relevant to, especially a young male audience who can tend to be uh, difficult to engage and Mm -hmm. recruits for higher ed, but It is a career, again, if you're just looking for booming industries that you may want to throw a lasso around, it's because, yeah, there's people who are professional players in these games, but there's also the coaches and the people who are doing the marketing for these organizations and doing the operation. They're. Increasingly complex and robust uh, and specialized organizations, to where there's going to be students that you have where it's, yeah, I'm a marketing major, but I'd love to work for an esports organization. It's right. so, like, okay, let's at least offer yeah. electives in esports for right. marketing and business majors yeah. and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And it, it is just a, a good example of a trend of this year of a thing that is dynamic and flexible given the year's circumstances, but also where industry's influence is being felt pretty, pretty prominently in
0: higher yeah. Yeah, it's also interesting, uh, as you were talking, it did make me uh, think more about entrepreneurship and uh, what it's like to get in on a startup, which is another almost parallel career development model to higher ed. It's almost an alternative, at least in terms of the the myth of Zuckerberg and Gates. It's not even a myth, it's true. They left their college to start uh, a software company. There's a decent amount of that happening. And then How does higher ed hold on to that narrative and build through other folks who maybe stick it out, complete these higher degrees? And then does it make more sense to get the credentials and get your resume to the point that you will be hired by the big player? Or does it make sense to particularly if you're thinking about something like eSports, does it make sense to think about what's emerging in the space and try to get ahead of trend to get in on? the next big thing. I think it's harder to have that mindset around higher ed, although it's more, this year of disruption may make it a little more, more interesting. Any, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, and I think higher ed always always moves slowly, but because it's the idea of, oh, there's now a major in TikTok or something. No, there's not going to be like a TikTok major, but esports, certainly now it's been around for several years. So at the very least, giving students this engagement opportunity, because a lot of times they're just like club sports teams. Like they're not, there are a lot increasingly of like varsity teams and that's really great. But just, yeah, trying to build out even a course or two in your curriculum, being mindful if you do have a gaming club and really trying to be supportive of them to get out to tournaments and be involved. And because there's the now kind of the varsity organization for collegiate esports that are called uh, NACE, N-A-C-E. So Mm -hmm. definitely go check them out to learn more if you're interested. They're like the governing body for collegiate esports and they're the ones that are pulling together a lot of tournaments or doing the professional development in the space. I think that's things that you're going to be aware of and want to be engaging with and perhaps sending a staff advisor for your gaming club and some of your students to a NACE conference. Or yeah. just You're immersing yourself and learning and observing mm-hmm. and seeing and being like, okay, wow, yeah, maybe we can convert an old computer lab into a eSports arena. They're the same thing. It's just a room with a bunch of computers, but maybe yeah. you put some cool lights and nice cool logo on it or something. But that's the idea of you're, in you're that way. You're just utilizing resources that you have to yeah. do something new and be more current. And at the very least, just being aware of what's happening and then proceeding accordingly. It may be that, like, we may never have a varsity team, but we at least have a very well engaged club sports team for super smash brothers. And they go off and do a tournament. We're supportive right. of that. And we understand like what they need and like the learning that they are craving and the career opportunities and those sort of things. Yeah. It's obviously just, that's literally, I think what you do on this show, which is so great. It's just like having a general awareness of these things. And then you can proceed informed to see what makes sense for your student body, what makes sense for your campus, your team, you know, your department, any of those kind of things. Because it's just definitely very applicable, eSports in particular, like it's applicable to a lot of different people in career services and student activities.
0: To me, I always always hearken back to Marshall McLuhan, uh, the medium is the message. In this case, if you're a university who can have an eSports club, at least to start, the people who start that club are demonstrating that entrepreneurial instinct to get that thing together and then starting to understand how to navigate that as this this whole thing evolves to me is really interesting. Reminds me a little bit of cybersecurity too, as like an emerging space where there's that desire for the august credential that you get from higher ed, but it's so emergent that the people who are really at the cutting edge of it are almost defining the space by doing it. It's a really interesting interplay, I think, between the more Stable institutions that kind of command respect, but at the same time may not be able to innovate fast enough. And then to your point, they're looking for the right dance partner, which in many cases might be the boot camp, but it also could be a boot camp on the esports industry, for example. So lots of really interesting uh, connections to be made around all that. We're coming close to time, Dustin. So as we wrap up, I always like to conclude by asking uh, my guests for any other trends, particularly something maybe outside of what we discussed so far that you're noticing. It's been a very crazy year where lots of things that were moving in one direction and now moving in another direction. You talked about the word of the year, Accelerate. Anything else that we haven't talked about so far that's capturing your imagination or do you want to dive a little deeper on something we've already talked about? The floor is yours. Thanks again for appearing. It's the Higher Ed Geek podcast and, and you're Dustin Ramsdell. If folks want to learn more about you or follow you or anything, uh, anywhere they should go.
1: HigherEdGeek.com and then uh, you'll find all my social media on there. And uh, yeah, maybe I'm a hot... Podcast is like posted everywhere, so go find yeah. that as well. And yeah. just so very much appreciate uh, the opportunity here to talk about all this good stuff and yeah. hopefully connect with uh, folks who are listening.
0: Yeah, but then as we're wrapping, like uh, we want to have this. Why we want to have people listen all the way to the end because you're gonna you're gonna impart a little nugget, whatever it is. It could be anything. It could be something something you saw on Netflix the other night. It could be. It could be a recommendation in terms of delivery service. In, it's it's Christmas, end of year, holidays. Sure, sure. Ideas around and a gift for that the certain someone in your life. Whatever you want, we'll be happy with what you give us.
1: Hmm. In a true geeky fashion, because I'm super excited about it. Not related to higher ed, but just definitely a trend of this year because some of this is just like, hot off the presses. It's because Warner Brothers, 2021, oh every theatrical release is going to be out on streaming. So that idea of that's going to shift a lot. That's yeah. huge in terms of just how people consume them in entertainment. And just to me, that's just a hugely positive thing is that yeah, you can go to the theater if you want, but also right. you can watch it at home and just more people being able to access. Because I guess it's the idea of there's obviously just we're washing in content. So more people are creating their art, putting it out there into the world. It's that much more accessible. We're now getting to see these major motion pictures in the comfort of our home or in theaters, or both. So it's just a wide, wonderful world of entertainment and all these things that are happening and just more great content. That's a win in my book. And I think I'm sure that's certainly parallel to higher ed, just more great education, getting out to more people. So all good things.
0: And when our podcasts uh, are available in the theaters, I'll be the first to go. But Dustin Ramsdell, thanks so much uh, for joining and uh for our listeners thanks as always for listening if you like what you're hearing tell a friend write us a review share us through your social media platform of choice this is trending in education we'll be back again soon